all testing. Can you all stand with me as we read the Word of God? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17, and I will read in your hearing verses 10 to 16, that's 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 10 to 16. If you have it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, wait on me. I'm reading from the New International Version, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 10 and on, where it says, So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me a piece of bread. As surely as your Lord, as your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. And verse 16 says, For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Bow your heads with me as we consider for our time together, if tomorrow could talk. If tomorrow could talk. Father in heaven, we thank you for waking us up this morning. We thank you for allowing us to put our shoes on right, our clothes on correctly, and, and do our hair up and come to church safely. Father, we ask that as we open your word that you'll open our eyes as we look to see you in a new and refreshing way. Do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. In your son's Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. When I was younger, I was preoccupied with time travel. There were many television shows and movies that engaged the subject. I know I'm betraying my age, but I remember Back to the Future, uh, when Marty traveled back in the first one to make sure his parents got together in their high school senior prom. We also had Terminator 1 when I was a kid, I know everybody here is too young to know who that is, so I'll just tell you. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was sent back in time by the robots as a cyborg to make sure that John Connor would not be born. Then the adult John Connor in the future, sent, he also sent a robot back to protect his mother so he could be born. One of my favorite movies is The Time Traveler's Wife where a woman, for some reason or another, has the audacity and courage 
to marry a man who engages in time travel due to some genetic mutation. Even today, we have X-Men, Days of Future Past, where Wolverine goes back in time to right some wrongs and to alter the destiny of the X-Men and ultimately human history. I know you all didn't come to church for a commercial on pop culture or history, but time travel is based, hear me, upon the emotion of regret. Sometimes I wish I could go back and change something and share something with my younger self and in the process buy some Facebook and Google stock. I wish I could go back to the day when some of my loved ones died, to the day before, and tell them important things that I didn't get to tell them. I want to go back in time because I regret. Time travel tugs upon the heart of every person who lived their lives with some twinge of regret in a life that cannot be changed. Elijah has just left the brook Cherith, and he, he could regret the brook drying up. He could regret the ravens leaving him. He could regret his call to ministry, but he introduces us to a God who does not live in the past, but a God who lives in the present. And when we encounter him, he often shows us not a glimpse of our past, but a glimpse of our future. While we have conversations with our past in therapy, it's good to have a conversation with your future every once in a while. If you could have had a conversation with your tomorrow, what would your tomorrow say back to you? In your future, in your tomorrow, you'll have a better job. In your tomorrow, you'll have more money. In your future, in your tomorrow, amen, you'll have a higher credit score. You'll live in a better neighborhood. In the Bible, when people lived in the present, often their futures would be shown to them to give them hope for that future, that vision or glimpse. It may not change their present or even explain it. But for some reason or another, it does make it more bearable. When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, in their past, in their rearview, they could see the angel with the flaming sword, and they felt regret, guilt, and shame. But God gives them a glimpse of the future. In Genesis, we see the earth created. In Revelation, we see the earth recreated. In Genesis, we see the sun, the moon, and the stars appear. In Revelation, we see the sun, the moon, and the stars disappear. In Genesis, sin appears. In Revelation, sin disappears. In Genesis, death appears. In Revelation, death disappears. In Genesis, Eden is lost. But in Revelation, Eden is restored. In Genesis, God blocks the gates of the garden but in Revelation, he opened wide the gates and he says, Come ye blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Genesis, the curse is pronounced. But in Revelation, the curse is renounced. In Genesis, we meet man's first temptation. Ye shall be as gods. But in Revelation, we see the devil's final destination, the lake of fire. If I had time to talk about it this morning, I would tell you that as long as you breathe oxygen in your lungs, there will always be things in your life from your past that you will regret. Yes, you can talk about it in therapy, but remember every now and again to have a conversation with your future. When you find yourself like Adam and Eve looking back 
over your shoulder and seeing your past and seeing your mistakes and living with the guilt and with the devil reminding you of everything. Tell him that you know what your past says, but please have a conversation with my future. If Elijah was here this morning, the first thing he would tell us is that if tomorrow could talk, tomorrow would tell us that God will promise you something in the present, something that you neither have nor have evidence of, and he will promise you this in advance, and the only evidence and confirmation you have is the fact that he told you. I'll say that again. God will promise you something in the present, something that you neither have nor have evidence of. He will promise you this, and the only evidence and confirmation you have is the fact that he told you. In verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 17, the Bible says, God tells Elijah to go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow there to supply you with food. While Elijah is bearing his burden, God promises him a blessing. While the obstacle of hunger is in front of him, God's detour is spoken in his ear. While he is living in a dry desert place, God gives him the message to go to the blessed place. God promises Elijah food, hear me, while he is hungry. God promises Elijah water while he is thirsty. God gives him a glimpse of his provision when he has nothing. When it is that your tomorrow talks to you, your tomorrow talks to you when you're in a tight situation. Okay, God will promise you something that you don't have when you don't have it, and the only evidence and confirmation is the fact that he told you. God told Eve that through your seed, the serpent will be crushed. God told Abram, that you will be the father of many nations. God told Sarai that you will have a child even though you're barren and old and advanced in years. God told Jacob, I will be with you, I will watch over you, and I will never leave you. But when God told them these things, they had no evidence or confirmation other than the fact that God spoke it. So when your tomorrow talks to you, you cannot go by what you see. You have to go by what God says. You cannot go by what you see. You have to go by what God says. At least half of you don't believe me. God promised you this church about 28 years ago. All you had was a dollar and a dream. He promised you this land when you did not have it and when you had no evidence of it. But you gathered at the tree, as you tell us every week, you had no money, you had no deed, but you believed God because your tomorrow began to talk to you and you trusted God, not because you had the down payment, but because God said so. And you did not go by what you saw but you went by what God said. On the title track of Common's album, The Dreamer, 
Maya Angelou says, once you find your shoulders dropping and your speech gets slow and hazy, you better change your way of being before you found your brain got lazy. You can build a better future when you join the winning team. If you desire a bright tomorrow, then build a brighter dream. Dare to let your dreams reach beyond you. Know that your history holds more than it seems. We are here alive today because our ancestors dared to dream. God will promise you something. And the only evidence and confirmation you have is the fact that he told you. Another thing that Elijah would tell you, that if your tomorrow could talk, your tomorrow would say, that the source of your blessing will not always resemble a blessing. And if that blessing is a person, they may not even know that they're the source of your blessing. I'll say that one more again. The source of your blessing will not always resemble a blessing. And if that blessing is a person, they may not even know that they're the source of your blessing. Verse 10 says, and he arises and goes to Zarephath, and he comes to the gate of the city. And behold, a genie in a bottle, a leprechaun on a pot of gold. It says, behold, a widow is there gathering sticks. And he calls to her and says, bring me a bottle of water in a vessel that I might drink. And as she's going to get him a bottle of water, he calls to her and says, um, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. God tells Elijah that the source of your blessing is not an ATM machine, but a widow. But the problem is the widow looks poor and she doesn't even know that she's the source of Elijah's blessing. A widow is someone whose husband has died. She is grieving the loss of her husband and what she lost when he died. The memories of their dating, the emotions of their courtship, the music that they danced to on their wedding nights, all of the days and nights and sunrises and sunsets of their marriage, she is grieving her past and the things that she lost. Hear me, but she's also grieving her future that will never come. The vacations, they will never go on. The sunsets, they won't witness together. The songs, they will never dance to. The children, they will not have. The birthday parties that she has to go to alone awkwardly and explain why her husband is not there. Not only is she grieving the loss of her husband, but she also has the burden of being a single mother in a drought. But God tells Elijah that the source of your blessing is not Second Harvest Food Bank. The source of your blessing does not look like a blessing. And the person who's going to bless you don't even know what I told you. God will promise you things in advance from people you don't even know. And the people who are going to bless you don't even know that they're a vehicle of God's mercy and his grace. 
And when you look on your present situation, the only reason that you believe it is because God has said it. All right? When Moses was in the desert and the people were thirsty, um, there, there was no Costco, there, there, there was no Walmart, um, there, there was no Piggly Wiggly. Y'all don't have that here, but, but back in Alabama, that's what we, what we got. God told Moses in Exodus chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, take the staff that you picked up, the staff that you struck the Nile with, that you parted the Red Sea with, excuse me, that I parted the Red Sea with, strike the rock and water will come out. I will stand next to you and I will do it through you. God tells Moses that the source of your blessing is a rock. Um, I dropped out of school, um, but I remember our science in high school and rocks do not have the properties of hydrogen and oxygen. The source of the blessing looked like a rock. If you touched it, it, it would feel like a rock. If you got down on your knees and sniffed it, it would smell like a rock. But God tells Moses to strike the rock. Um, I know we got former law enforcement officers here. Um, if Moses was here in California striking rocks with, with staffs, um, the policeman would, might ask them, what are you doing? And he might get arrested for suspicion of, of being under the influence of Hennessy or Molly. But when God tells you to do something, The only evidence and confirmation you have is the fact that he told you to do it. When he strikes the rock, water comes out of the rock, not because of what Moses did, but because God was next to him speaking to the rock, telling the rock to change its natural and physical properties to give water from a source that is neither hydrogen nor oxygen. God is telling Elijah, that as you go into your future, the source of your blessing may not resemble a blessing. And this blessing may be oblivious to what I'm telling you, but you can be confident that I'm with you and that I can provide for you. If your tomorrow could talk, it would say that God is promising you something now that you do not have evidence of. And the source of your blessing may not resemble a blessing on the outside. But what you need to understand is when God says something, he is responsible for bringing it to pass. If the widow was here to testify this morning, she would say, church, if tomorrow could talk, it would say, God will allow your life to be downsized so your faith can be supersized. Let the church say, God will allow my life to be downsized so my faith can be supersized. Verses 12 says, and she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in the jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. God allows her life to be downsized so her faith could be supersized. God brings a drought upon the land 
and everybody suffers from the drought. It's not like the plagues in Egypt where the plagues didn't fall upon God's people. In 1 Kings chapter 17, when Elijah prophesies a drought is coming, everybody suffers from the drought. But Elijah is provided for at the brook, and the brook is in the promised land, in the blessed place in Palestine. But the widow is suffering from the same drought 24 hours north in a heathen land without a husband and with a son to provide for. God provides for Elijah supernaturally through ravens. But God also provides for the widow with no money, no husband, and with two mouths to feed. We don't know how she became a widow. But we see that God provides for her in the drought. And after two years, he allows her life to be downsized so her faith could be supersized. God gives Elijah meat and water, but the widow has oil and flour. Elijah has a prepared meal twice a day, but the widow, she has to prepare a fire, mix the oil and the flour, and bake the bread every day for two years. It does not seem fair. She has to work harder than Elijah. But don't you see it? She might not like the bread that she's eating, but at least the sister is eating something for two years. Sometimes we do not realize our blessings until God allows our life to be downsized. We might not have everything that we want. We might only have wonder bread and enriched and bleached flour, but at least we have something to eat. God provides for us. It might not be like other people, but he has always provided for us. And we often don't realize how good we got it until our life gets downsized. The Bible says she has a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. But Chris Rock would say, at least she got some flour and some oil. Some people ain't got that. You don't realize what you have. I know y'all know who Chris Rock is. That's what he'll say. Until your life is downsized. All right, um, y'all been good your whole life. You never knew that fried bologna tastes so good until your cupboards got bare. You never knew that you could make French toast with Wonder Bread and some sugar. Um, you never knew that you could, oh, I'm going to mess you up. You never knew that you could cut up the hot dogs and put them in pork and beans and make it stretch for, for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. I wasn't always Adventist. You didn't know that you could put water in cereal and still eat it and not know the difference. Maybe it's just me. God will allow your life to be downsized so your faith can be supersized. Don't turn to your neighbor, just keep your eyes straight, but, but you didn't know that you could burn some candles so long until your PG&E got cut off. 
just say to yourself that God will allow my life to be downsized so my faith can be supersized. If your tomorrow could talk, it would also say, thank God, not for what you have, but for what you have left. Sometimes you have to thank God, not for what you have, but for what you have left. Verses 13 says, Elijah says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake out of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14 says, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Um, in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, God uses nature, he uses animals, and he uses things for our good. Uh, so he can use us in the way that he uses them. All right, um, the ravens, unclean birds, they obey God. The sky obeys God. The brook obeys God. The flower obeys God. The oil obeys God. Maybe God can use you the way he uses them. Oh, you're not super saved and holy. Maybe you're like me. You don't have the confidence of Elijah. If God would have told me to go to the White House and prophesy a drought, Lord, send me, you know, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Maybe you don't have the sense of direction like the ravens. Maybe you don't have the faith of the widow. You don't just have a hand full of flour in the jar and a little bit of oil in the jug but you are the handful of flour. You are the leftover oil. You've been pressed down and shaken together and running over, providing for everybody else. And there's only a little bit of you left. You're at the end of your rope and you're ready to give up and quit. But your tomorrow wants to have a conversation with you and tell you to thank God, not for what you have, but for what you have left. Why? Because God does not need a whole lot to do a whole lot. God does not need a lot of stuff in order to do a lot of stuff. Okay, God, he wanted to make a world. All he needed was his words. God wanted to make man in his image. All he needed was some dirt. God wanted to bring Egypt to his knees. All the brother needed was a rod. God does not need a whole lot to do a whole lot. When God wanted to slay a giant, all he needed was one smooth stone. When God wanted to slay the Midianites, all he needed was an army of 300 and some trumpets and some pitchers. God does not need a whole lot to do a whole lot. So you can thank God not for what you have, the surplus, the overflow, the abundance. You can thank God for what is left over because what you have left is all that he needs. 
And the record says in verses 15 and 16 that she goes her way and does as Elijah tells her, and there is food every day for Elijah, the woman, and her family. And the Bible says the jar of flour is not used up, and the jug of oil does not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Before I take my seat, I need to tell you one last thing. If your tomorrow could talk to you this morning, your tomorrow would say that God often has the solution before you have your problem. God has the answer before you ever ask the question. I'll say that one more time. God often has the solution before you even have your problem. God has the answer before you have your question. When Isaac asked Abraham, where is the sacrifice? Abraham said back to his son, God will provide for himself a ram for the burnt offering. And when it was that Isaac was being offered up on the altar as a burnt offering, as he was about to be killed, God stopped him and showed him the ram in the thicket. What Abraham didn't know is that when he left Beersheba, headed to Mount Moriah in one direction, a ram started walking from the other direction. When he was walking up Mount Moriah on one side, the ram was walking up on the other side. And when they needed God to supply their needs, it was already there. God has the solution before you ever have your problem. That's why they call that place Jehovah Jireh, because God provides. Some people here today are facing impossible situations. You're stressing over it. You're praying and seeking God and searching for an answer. But what you need to understand is that God often has to set the situation to the miraculous to get you ready for the miraculous. The widow had no food. She had no possible means. The situation was overwhelming and her supplies were insufficient. The problem that was overwhelming, the supply that was insufficient because of the word of the Lord, the supply became overabundant. Through meeting Elijah, she comes to understand God multiplies as he divides. She learns that you will never have a problem that is greater than God's ability to solve it. And if her son could testify and stand here, she would say, he would say that my mama had a conversation with tomorrow. And tomorrow said to her that God will promise you things that you can neither see nor understand. God will promise you something and you will not understand or recognize the source of your blessing. God will allow your life to be downsized so your faith can be supersized. Her son would say that if tomorrow could talk, your tomorrow would tell you that your solution comes before your problem. I don't know about you, but God has opened some doors for me. God has made some ways for me. 
I don't know about y'all, but I woke up this morning. I was clothed in my right mind. I didn't put my hat on my feet. I didn't put no shoes on my head. I can be thankful for some storms that God brought me through this week. Have you have any rivers that seem uncrossable? Are there any mountains in your life that seem insurmountable? I want to recommend the God of Elijah to you. When you follow him, the faltering gets sanctified. When you follow him, the famished will be satisfied. When you follow him and listen to your tomorrow, all of the faithless people in your life will be stupefied. I recommend him to you. When the devil comes in your ear and he tells you there's nothing but sin in your life, you can tell him, I know what I see. But I need to go based upon what God has said. I know everything in my past I did. You have all of the evidence. You have all of that you need. But God has had a conversation with my future. And he says that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. And hear me, God sent his son into the world before I was ever born. God's solution came before my problem ever existed for one reason. So I can trust him and know that he provides. It was three years ago, I was living in New Orleans and I was applying for jobs all over the country. God knew what I wanted to do. And I take pride in networking and I, and I mentor people. And one person that I, I gave them the hookup in Little Rock, Arkansas, they, they were there for two years. They say, I know this person, they're they looking for a chaplain, you'd be perfect. Um, they, they didn't get back to me. I sent them my resume, cover letter, emailing them, calling them, nothing. I applied to a Catholic hospital in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And the brother called me on the phone I said, you from who? I said, you know I'm proud. I'm thinking in my mind, you know I'm Protestant, right? He said, your resume look good. I want you to come here for an interview. I said, okay, okay. Um, they said, we're going to reimburse you for your mileage. I said, oh, bro, I'm there. I said, I can be there next week. I get in my car, drive to Little Rock, put me up in the hotel. The director takes me out to eat on my birthday. Um, I I'm praying that night. I'm getting all super holy, you know. Um, I wake up early that morning. It's my birthday. I said, God, God of heaven, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You made the sun, the moon, and the stars. If you bless me with this job, you know, when I did all that. Walked into the interview. The interview was eight hours long. At the end of the interview, we're having lunch. And he said, I wish somebody would just jump off the resume and hit me in my face. I'm thinking in my mind, bro, I've just, just been with you for the last eight hours. I said, God, why you bring me all this way? Lord, you know I want this job. I drive all the way back to New Orleans, nine and a half hours. I get a Dear John letter. I get two of them. A um, couple weeks later, we don't have a job for you. I'm thinking, Lord. Why did you open up the door in a Catholic hospital nonetheless if you didn't want me to go through it? 
I'm interviewing at other places. I'm driving to Atlanta to interview, and then I get a call here from California, and as soon as I saw 209, the Holy Ghost said, that's it. I said, no, I don't want to go to California. I can't afford to move there. No, I'm going to Atlanta. I want to be near my family. God said, no, you're going to California. He promised me something right then and there. I had no evidence or confirmation other than the fact that he told me. I said, God, you want me to go? You need to provide for me to go. Um, I called them. They said, we'll fly you here. Um, they, they said, we want you to be here for three days. I'm like, I didn't interview with y'all twice. Why do you want me to come for three days? And it slipped out of their mouth. We want you to look at condos and homes. I said, oh, God is opening the door. But I could not afford the move. Security deposit, moving expenses, nothing in the bank account. The day came for me to move here. Praise the Lord, I had the security deposit, I, I had the moving expenses. But there was a check in the mail the day I was going to leave from the human resources department from the hospital where I did not get a job. I did not know that I needed that $500 right then and there. Here's what happened. The day I left New Orleans, I got to Shreveport, my tire exploded. Had to be towed, had to be changed. That was X amount of dollars. Drove through Texas, got to New Mexico, took a nap, went to the hotel, got on the road going through Arizona. All of a sudden, the light on my engine start going off. Car died in the desert, y'all. I'm on the side of Route 66 saying, Lord, the desert is beautiful, but I need to get to California. I went to Kmart, bought a battery, thought it was the battery. It wasn't the battery. It was the alternator on a Sunday. Ain't nobody open, and I ain't got no money. I call the first person in the phone book. It was a mobile mechanic. He said, if I come there today, it's going to cost you more. I can come in the morning. I said, Lord, God said, you got the check in your pocket. He come the next morning, the brother's Mormon. He fixing my car, and he told me it's going to be $500. I said, for an alternator? I said, you're going to make my, well, I ain't going to cuss out. I said, no, I, God said, I gave you the check a week before you needed it from a job you wasn't even going to get. I'm providing for you before you even know it. I paid him $500 for an alt, alternator. Alternator don't cost that much money. And I got here in time, coming here from Louisiana. God showed me. I will promise you things. I can provide for you. And if I show you that small stuff, Will you believe that when I can handle the big stuff? That was just $500, y'all. But what is there in your life that you need God to intervene in? What is there in your life that you need God to lift from you? What burden are you carrying that you need to trust God with? 
He'll prove it in the small stuff so you can trust him with the big stuff. There's something in your life that you want to give to God. There's something from your past. Hear me. Let it have a conversation with your tomorrow. If that's you, I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. There's something in your life right now. You wanted to have a conversation with your tomorrow. If that's you, there's something special in your life that you want God to take. I'm offering for you to come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer of release just for you. There's something in your life. The devil keeps bringing it up. Your family might keep bringing it up. Or you might keep bringing it up. Let it have a conversation with your tomorrow. something in your life that you want to give to him something that's blocking you from trusting God fully is there another there's something that you want to give to him if I was that widow I would have went Medea on Elijah I said, I'll give you something to drink, but you want me to feed you too? I don't have her faith, but I, I can be that flower and that oil. I can give him what I have left over. Put it in his hands, and he'll provide for you all the days of your life. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we jump for joy when you pay our bills. We jump for joy when our credit limit goes up. We jump for joy when we see a sale. But Lord, there's issues in our life right now from our past that we regret, whether things that were done to us or things we did, whether by choice or by mistake. And Lord, for some reason or another, in times of drought, we get weary and we rehearse all of the things from our past. But Lord, you're saying, let it have a conversation with your tomorrow. Lord, you're already there waiting for us to walk to you. To walk into what you have for us. Lord, there's some things in our lives. If we kept it real, Lord, we can't give it to you. Lord, please take it. We give you permission to go into our closets, go into our basement, go into our cupboard, and take out what doesn't belong and replace it with you and your son. Father, there's some people here with guilt. And Lord, we go by what we see. But Lord, you promised that you gave your son for whosoever Lord, that can be me. Father, I ask that you would go to the darkest part of our lives, of each person represented here, and take that thing, whatever it is, and nail it to the cross. If that's what you need God to do in your life, just respond by saying amen. God bless you.